it's really more than a song. It's a prayer. It's our hearts reaching out to you. And Holy Spirit, you inhabit the dwelling of the praises of your people. And what a, what a pleasure it must be for you to hear us sing and even pray, Lord, I need you. Because there's the spray of life that comes and we get hit and we have to, have to wonder at times, <clears throat> how will this work out? What will be the good or the gain that comes from this? And sometimes we don't have an immediate answer. We simply talk to you and say, Lord, I need you. But we do know this, that you're up to something in our lives. You've said so. It's so significant that it's not something you're willing to delegate to anybody. Now may the God himself, the God of all peace, sanctify you through and through. And may your spirit, soul, and body be blameless on the day of Christ Jesus. And the God who calls you is faithful, and he will do it. So, Lord, you've heard us say we need you. Grown-ups say that, and children who are in our gathering this morning aren't quite sure what it means. They know they need mom. They know they need dad. But I pray that today where they go and what they hear about you would remind them at a, at a little person's level that they need you. And I pray that in this hour together, we would take whatever was too big for us to keep and live out the words of that song and prayer. I need you. For your glory, Lord, we pray these things. And all God's people said, amen, amen. Kids, on your way, have a great time. Have a wonderful time. And good morning, church. Good morning. Um, I read someplace that uh, there's a rather <clears throat> important football game today. And um, apparently it's, it's a patented name. Uh, so you can call it Super Game. You can call it a... Um, a, a, a There was a Raider fan out here that called it a waste of time. And I happen to agree with you, brother. I'm with you all the way. Um, but the truth is, today you might see some of us dressed in red, and it's, you get to guess. Is it, um, you know, my, my Debbie has, yes, here we go, I knew. I'm actually about to say something about Valentine's Day, so would you join me? Um, but no, it's, uh, it's a big game today. Uh, you may not know this trivia, but did you know the halftime entertainment? Uh, they're never paid. There's not a penny paid <laughs> for obvious reasons. But uh, um, no, because it's probably said to be the greatest boon when it comes to their uh, status in the world as an entertainer that they're happy to do it for free. Isn't that fascinating? That may not be true, but I read it. 
on the internet, so <laughs> must be, must be. Uh, we're glad. I'm glad we're together here today. And let me say something about Valentine's Day. It's coming up this Wednesday, of course. And uh, and we, wh- whether you're uh, a single person, whether you're here as a couple, however you're here in cafe when we're done here today, we want to invite you. They we had a great. Uh, uh, sweetheart banquet, I guess we'd call it a breakfast anyway, yesterday, and it was fun. It was, we had a newlywed game, and there was, uh, yeah, I think Neil, Neil and Shell, you were the winners? You were the, yeah, yeah. Not fair, not fair. They're newlyweds, you guys. How can they be winners on this thing? But you're good, you're good, folks. And there's a section in that room that I asked them to keep up, uh, not take it down and get the room reset for today, and that is, there's a uh, kind of a photo uh, corner. You'll see it. It's, it's ri- uh, rimmed by balloons, and it looks very festive. By all means, uh, get over there and take some pictures and have some fun with it. But, um, so let's, uh, let's talk about why we're here and, and uh, why my Bible's open to uh, John chapter 11. We'll get there, but you can kind of get a jump on things right now. <clears throat> Find your way to the fourth gospel, the 11th chapter of that gospel, Matthew, Mark, Luke are the synoptic gospels, and then comes John. Synoptics, nothing fancy. Uh, It simply means that they are the kind of the gospels that that sync Jesus' movements. They're all in step. The fourth gospel has a lot more in terms of theology. We'll get to that in John 11. But let me start by taking you um, to a little piece of my history. Um, You know, uh, Ritalin. Ritalin's probably a medical name. Some of you are waving right now at me. That's good. Uh, But Ritalin was not a drug that was available when I was a school-age kid, and I'm fairly certain that there were many teachers that wished it had been in in my case. Um, I was a handful. Uh, You've heard me say that. Some of you parents of teenagers who who are bucking the system and um, defying your authority at times, have said it's so encouraging to you to hear me be honest about my story. But if my parents were here, (laughs) and they always sat in the front row, at this point when I said, you know, I was a handful, my dad might have tried to stand on his own at that point and said, yeah, let me tell you about it. Give me that microphone. Um, But I I was always acting up. I was that kid. I was... was, um, my friends even had names for me. It kind of goes with my last name, McCracken. I was McCrack Up or just Crack Up or at one point just Crack, which has a different meaning today, I understand. But um, I was the class clown, all right? And how many of you are just shocked right now? Raise your hand. Not a hand in the room. That's good. Um, all right. So years later, that was my childhood years, and I was now a graduate of high school, and it was in the late 70s. I graduated in 76, and then I went to a camp that uh, I I talk about freely as the place where I cut my teeth in ministry, and that was Camp Tadmore. And I really went there to be around my dad because he was so embedded in Camp Tadmore, and it was a great time to hang out with him. And I was bitten by ministry. I was not only um, bitten, I met the Holy Spirit there. I met the Lord who said, I got plans for you. Um, 
And they were kind of private to me. I knew I was processing things deeply and wondering, what's this all about? But <clears throat> how many have been to Tadmore or any camp? You probably know that you don't get to keep your street name or your civilian name. So you're given a name or you have a name. Mine turned out to be Gyro. It's kind of a weird chuckle. You know, there's a gyro that's always spinning, spinning like a top, right? And I was gyro, and I was crazy and wild and funny and happy and a whole bunch of other adjectives. That's just who I was. So much so that every week they would say something like, listen, gyro, it's time. And what they're getting at is whenever there's a a big gathering, they would, you know, they would say, hey, we need a couple of counselors, and a bunch of kids would say, gyro, 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 and it fed my very fragile ego in those days, and, uh, and so um, I would get up there, and my hat would be on crooked, and I would be just crazy looking and fun, and kids are like, and then I'd take off my hat, and I would change the expression on my face, and I say, guys, you're used to me kind of being wild, aren't you? And they're, <laughs> and I got something I really need to share with you that's kind of hard to share. And there's silence. Hundreds of kids went from 100 decibels to, <sighs> and I told them how Jesus had taken over control of my life. I just did. And the impact every week was enormous to me. I still gyro. Um, it drew a crowd. And it was something that was natural to me. So go from there and fast forward to the days when I became a pastoral intern at uh, E. Free Fullerton. Debbie and I were newlyweds. We had been married in April. And in the fall of that year, I became one of two senior staff interns. It's a whole year uh, privilege. And, um, and I brought me with me. <laughs> and I was gyro and maybe even a bit of that Ritalin kid showing up again. Um, and I, and I uh, remember somebody, I don't even remember who, but out of nowhere, they, I had already established sort of a, wow, we got a wild one here. And, um, and I remember somebody saying to me just in passing, hey, hey, I got a question. Do you ever have a down day? And I, before the question actually fully got put out there, I said, no, why should I? And I, I tell you that because um, I don't think that was a full story. And over the years, I've been crazy and funny and silly, and I behaved like uh, I was still a college pastor or something. But I've learned that there's more than just laughter. In fact, um, I'm, I'm going to tell you that um, I, I like laughter. I like it a lot, and I think people like it. I think we maybe need just a place to let it out. And uh, it's not a surprise if you knew, you don't have to dig very far to look at our core values as a church. And one of them, one of the five, is find a way to make it fun. 
Why not? The joy of the Lord is my, yeah. Um, and, and on and on. The Bible talks about joy extensively. If you need a joy infusion, go to Philippians. Four chapters. Forget how many times. Some, some of you, they count all those details, but maybe 50 times the word joy is there. Doesn't mean fake it. It just means joy is not, you know, the Bible's not allergic to it. But um, <clears throat> I, uh, I know there's more than just laughter. So if, and we're going to talk about this right now. We're going to talk about what you're looking for in a church. Now, many of you, I know your answer. You've been here long enough to live your answer. Uh, but one of the things that I... Um, I, I think is true, um, and th that's what this message is, in fact, all about. Uh, if you wonder what we're up to, would you write these four statements down? Four, they're not even statements. They're just words. And they form an acronym, all right? So if you're brand new or if you're joining us from some other place and you haven't yet taken your seat in the house, you're in your house, we want you here. But until then, you're, for whatever reason, not here, and... Uh, some of you are here, but sort of almost, not quite a foot in, foot out, whatever. But here's the deal. These four words. We are a church that is biblical, relevant, authentic, and gracious. So some of you that know ac acronyms, it's, it's a church that brags. Okay? Remember those four words, all right? What, do we do? what are we about? We're biblical. The Bible is open 100% of the time here. Because we're just going to have just this little pom-pom moment otherwise. Or we're going to go deep. And biblical is a good word. Relevant means this isn't just going to be a bunch of abstract stuff long ago that doesn't matter anymore. This is relevant, meaning you work tomorrow, hopefully you're going to hear something today that's going to make a difference for you tomorrow. Or maybe you're going to go to the game and you're going to behave more like a Christian this afternoon in your uh, tailgate party or something, uh, whatever. But relevant, we're relevant. What we're saying here should be relevant. Authentic is the third word, B-R-A, authentic. And that's what stopped me short in this quick observation about laughter and fun and always up. That's part of what you experience and I experience, but it's not the whole story. Authenticity says there's some pretty low times too, and we're not going to hide them. Our bias as a church is not just to say things that scratch where we itch and give you a break from the bad news out there. We're going to talk about bad news in the hardest place of all to talk about it, not in the church, in my heart, in your heart, okay? That's authentic. G is a great word. It's in our name, gracious. We're, we're grace point. That is the point. That's how you become a Christian. It's the starting point of the Christian life. So we do things that are biblical, relevant, authentic, and gracious. So I've, I've said a lot already. I want to draw you in with a question. Um, here's a question everyone, everybody can answer. And I hope you'll do it now or when, you know, commercials aren't so good this afternoon at the game. When you come to church, what are you looking for? Would you write it on your page if you haven't already? Maybe 
right at what am I looking for? When I, co- when I go to church, what am I looking for? I'm going to give you a couple of things I hear again and again. Biblical teaching. I say, why are you here? What brought you here? Another related question, why are you staying? Biblical teaching. Good worship. Most say great worship. I love the music and other things. Here's a third. Friendly people. Friendly people. What a cool concept. Huh? Uh, I think, show me a look of friendly right now on your face on count of three. One, two, three. A hundred percent, well, 98% of you are smiling. <laughs> you, you know why? Because you can't be friendly. You go, hi, I'm friendly on the inside. That's all you're getting out of me today. No, you're friendly, right? So I hear that a lot. I hear that from people. And a place, this is really deep. This really gets to important things. A place where I can meet with Jesus and make decisions to follow him because I'm inspired by what I hear or see. That's cool. I hear that a lot. Uh, A place where you can be, I've heard all of these, encouraged, because we leak courage. We want to build you up, give you courage. So encouragement, um, challenge, because you're not in heaven yet. That means you've got some work to do. God's got work to do in you. I just quoted those words out of worship this morning, 1 Thessalonians 5, 23 and 24, the God who began this good work in you, will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. Amen? It's really good. He's faithful. He's faithful. So um, that's, a, that's a big deal to people. They want to be challenged. And surprisingly, at least to me, they want to be corrected. When I, when I sweat the biggest sweat drops... It's sometimes over, I got something hard that we need to hear, and it's hard to say it. And, I, and I'm like, ugh, what do I say? And I've heard from many of you, I won't name you, but, they, but, but sometimes when I feel like I have to bust open a can of whoop and, and you know, um, and correct, hopefully you hear, first, I'm correcting me, but secondly, I'm not afraid to say, hey, here's an admonition. Got to do better here. And, uh, so, and so we do it, and people like that. But as you would guess, comforted is also on the list. Uh, we, af- we, we comfort the afflicted, and we afflict the comfortable <laughs> is a way to think of it, right? So some of you are actually making up your mind right now. Do I want to, you know, Go to the game early or stay and hear the rest. But um, So in a sentence, what I'm getting at, um, we want a church where we feel at home. I think that's at the heart of it. Uh, when I describe Grace Point, and I do it all the time and have done for a long, long time, I, I just say we're a small church with a big heart and a family feel. In a, in, a, in a word, in short, it feels like home, which raises the question, okay, when I say that, it sounds good in a sentence, what does home feel like? What's that? 
safe, welcoming, loving. Nurturing. Oh, these are great words. I didn't come up with any of those. That's really good. No, they're good words. I love it. And it, and it goes on. Actually, let me let me throw out this uh, just this uh, this way. Um, home is a place where you can celebrate and grieve, and everything in between. In that home, you don't say hey to your child, hey, hey, no, we only party here. We only have a good time. We only celebrate birthdays. We don't talk about, no, I know you got dumped on your, you know, on, you know, your boyfriend dumped you or whatever. Of course we talk about that, that and everything in between. Um, home has an appeal because it's there that we can be all the silly things. We can be gyro at home. We can be silly and funny. But home is also very appealing because it's a place where I am safe to struggle. Don't, it, it's it's kind of what you, some of you said. It's, it's safe to struggle. It's safe to share a doubt, to be weak. Um. So let me involve you right now a little step further. There's a visual that you're going to see, okay? What kind of church do you want to be part of, all right? If you have the book already, it's uh, not quite the same visual from Je uh, Sky Jeffani, um, What If Jesus Was Serious, but <clears throat> there's a version of it there. I changed some words that fit us better. But I'm, I have that up there for this reason. If you have this dial, okay, and you could turn a dial. That's the church in the middle. That's the little grace point there. And you could turn it to any one of those words. Which word would you be inclined to turn it to? Would you say, I, well, let's, let's talk about them. I, I want to be at a church where you can be tender. You can, be, you can feel um, tender. Uh, you can come and be a fragile person, and we're not going to, you know, make you sit in the lobby or whatever. Uh, people aren't going to ignore you. Maybe that's important to you, so tender would be there. Uh, maybe happy, I would guess in lots of people's dial, you'd stop at happy. You'd like happy. Um, why not? A, a pick-me-up experience on Sunday. You don't want to go to church if it's always a downer, right? So, or, or sad may mean not that the church is sad, but that you're okay to be sad. Uh, you, can, you can cry tears. Uh, I've said this before. It's not true today as far as I can tell, but um, there are uh, frequently people in the lobby that are very fragile and, and going through something really hard. And they've told me they sit in the lobby because it's just too, they're too borderline will they, will they lose it. I tell them sometimes, you know what? There's no better place to lose it than right here at Grace Point. It's true. I really believe that. Then angry. I'm not saying come here and get mad <laughs> or be mad. I'm saying you, you're struggling with something that's eating you. 
you can be, you can, is that the kind of church you want a church that won't shut that down, but will say, let's work through that. Uh, still more scared. This world worries me. I'm scared. I want to hang out here. And then finally, uh, worried is another word up there. So here's the deal. I'm guessing right now, because we don't have time to do all of this, but I'm guessing if you clicked your dial, how many would click it to happy? I like that. Okay. Is there, let's just go around the horn again. Okay. Happy. How about sad, the way I defined it? Okay. All right. I'm with that. Angry. You're upset. You're not sure what to do with it. You'd like to come to a place that may help you with that. How about scared? Okay. Worried. Okay. You're, Jesus said a lot about worry in Matthew 6, right? Be anxious for nothing, but somehow you're anxious about a lot of things. And then tender. Wow, that, that got the biggest bite, tender. Can I make a guess? We want it all. Yeah, how many want it all, right? There we go. Okay, all right. So that's what Grace Point is. Let's tuck away our uh, Bible and uh, head on our way here. Um, no, we want it all. We are the kind of people that... Um, we have, we have ideals, and then sometimes we have a raw reality. But the truth is we need all of those things in a church for it to feel like home. Now, you might say, well, that's a lot. That's a, what I'm getting at is the title of my message today. We need to keep it real. That's where the word authentic comes in, biblical, relevant, authentic, and gracious. Uh, it also seems to fit the tone and the message, here we go now, of the Bible. We'll get to John 11, but take in these two things. I have no slide to show you now. I don't even have these verses to put up there because you know them well, okay? Uh, our Bibles have a big section known as the Psalms. Okay, Psalms, P-S-A-L-M-S. They were actually ancient songs, like we sing. Most of them were put to music, and that's how people first expressed themselves in the Bible. In fact, Jathani in his writing says, the, the prayer book that Jesus and his disciples turned to in their worship was largely the Psalms. How about that? Kind of a great place. Have you ever been without hope? Psalm 42, 43. Uh, why are you in despair, O my soul? Why have you become disturbed me, disturbed within me? Four times in those two psalms. In the original Hebrew, they were one psalm. But Psalm 42 and 43, the answer every single time is hope in God. We sang it today for a reason. Hope has a name. You know Romans 15, 13? You should, if you don't. Now may the God of all hope cause you to be filled with all joy and peace in believing so that you may abound in hope through the power of the Holy Spirit. 
Amen? That's cool. So the Psalms were used in that time, and they're still used today. In fact, I'm a Maranatha music guy, right? I came through that era. And my favorite part of Maranatha music, it was, it was uh, give ear to my words, O Lord, consider my meditation. Do you know those words? Do you know that, did you even know that you knew Psalm 5? Straight up, straight out of Psalm 5. Oh, thou, O Lord, are a shield about me. You're my glory. You're the lifter of my head. Do you know that you memorized Psalm 3 when you sang that song? Get my point? It's all over the Psalms, right? Uh, Thy word is a lamp unto my feet. Amy Grant, right? Okay. And a light unto my path. Anybody? Verse uh, 105. Yeah. 9 and 11, how does a young man keep his way pure by keeping it for you? Yeah, good. That's so good. That's good. Uh, but that's good. He's almost always right, and I'm usually wrong. But uh, this is good. No, but you're right. Psalm 105. It's uh, 119, 105, verse 105. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet. I've got it down by tune. Here's two that everybody knows about. Can you, <clears throat> what song could possibly, song, notice I said, what psalm could possibly strike a chord of comfort more than Psalm 23? Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. Incredible truth being spoken there. He guides me in paths of righteousness. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, could there be a harder place to walk? I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou anointest my head with oil. My cup overflows, runneth over. Surely, your goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Wow. Psalm 23, what a beautiful place, a go-to place when you're rumbling on the inside. But did you know that Psalm 23's nearest neighbor is a psalm that was quoted by Jesus in agony as he cried on a cross paying for our sins. 
next door neighbor to Psalm 23 is Psalm 22. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? We miss it if we don't just stop in a very uncomfortable moment and say, that was uttered by Jesus. And he didn't modify it to make it sound theologically better. He poured out his soul in the moment, saying, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from me? Why is a hard question, especially when it's, it has to do with God. Why are you so far from me, God? Here's the reality. And I only bring those up to illustrate this point. I've just presented to you two of the most astounding extremes I could come up with. Psalm 23. <laughs> to use... The first person singular in that blows my mind. My God, my God. Psalm 22. 23, the Lord is my shepherd. Somebody said, um, he is not just the shepherd, nor is he just a shepherd. But everything changes when he becomes my shepherd. Isn't that good? It's true. My shepherd. Uh, the contrasts go from incredible intimacy, he is my shepherd, to the raw edge of abandonment. I'm all alone. I don't feel like... I don't feel like you're even in the same zip code. See the, see how it all needs, it comes together. It merges. Um, so I brought that up because our journey with Jesus is filled with peaks and valleys. The peaks for me is Psalm 23. The valleys, ugh, Psalm 22. So that's a setup to John 11, okay? And I promised and we'll deliver now. John 11 is a story. I'll summarize the opening. Jesus has two sisters and a brother that are best friends. F, what do we used to say? Friends for life? F, FFF? Anyway. BFF, there we go. I would say Jesus would probably say, you're my BFFs. They were Lazarus the brother, and Martha and Mary, the two sisters, Lazarus' sisters. Jesus is out of town. He's not in <clears throat> their town when Lazarus falls ill, and he's gravely ill. And the opening here captures just how sick he was, dire sickness. And they get word to Jesus because they know he's the one, if there's anyone, who could intervene and maybe save the day. 
they were close. Um, it says a couple of different times, wow, they, they, the, the notation is how much Jesus loved these. And verse, five, verse 3 says, Lord, the one you love is sick, reported um, the news to Jesus. When he heard this, Jesus said, the sickness will not end in death. Nor, no, it's for God's glory so that God's son, speaking of himself, may be glorified through it. Um, so instead of going directly to Bethany, which is a town a couple of miles outside of Jerusalem, you wrap around up the Kidron Valley around the Mount of Olives and you go to Bethany, two miles away. That's where they're at. Instead of dropping everything, we might say, and, and, and making a beeline for that, he delays uh, fully aware that uh, his life hung in the balance, Lazarus' life. In fact, um, notice verse 14, if you'll just flip the page, I've kind of captured some of this. Jesus, to remove all doubt, um, some people were wondering, was he really dead or not? Lazarus is dead, said Jesus. And for, the, for your sake, I'm glad I was not there so that you may believe. Now let us go to him. All right. So what unfolds next is both raw and real. And it, it can't be skipped over. So we're going to just kind of comment along the way as we weave our way through it. On his arrival, Jesus' arrival, he found that Lazarus had not only been dead, but was in the tomb for four days. Now, Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother Lazarus. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, kind of true to Martha's style, she went out to meet him while Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, you can hear the plaintive tone, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. There's a hint of understanding for sure in her. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. What she says in response to that gives you a very clear indication of how she interpreted Jesus' simple statement. Verse 24, Martha answered, I know he's going to rise again in the resurrection at the last day. And then these words, which are beautifully spoken by Jesus, he said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in, him, in me will never die. And since he was in a conversation with Martha, he said, do you believe this? She said, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who's to come into the world. And after she said this, the exchange was over. She turned and went back to where her sister was. And she called her sister Mary aside from probably a house filled with mourners and said to her, the teacher is here, verse 28, and he's asking for you. When Mary heard this, she got up quickly, it fits who she is, and went to him. 
Now, Jesus had not yet entered the village. That is, he's still out of town. But he, but was, he was at the place where Martha had met him. And when the Jews who had been with Mary in the house comforting her noticed how quickly she got up, they, saw, they thought, well, well, something's up. And they went out and they followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb where Lazarus had been laid to mourn there. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet. I prefer to use the word collapsed. Her strength gave out. And said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. John calls attention to something we need to see in verse 33. When Jesus saw her weeping and all that that represented and looked around and saw Jews who had come along with her also weeping. Notice he was deeply moved. That's that stuff of raw emotion. Deeply moved in spirit. And troubled. And his words, where have you laid him? Come and see, Lord, they replied. My Bible does not say he went quickly to see. We used to joke, it's the easiest verse in the Bible to memorize. Two words. Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, wow, he really did love him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man, that story is told in chapter 9, remember? The pool of Siloam. Could he have not also kept this man from dying? Jesus once more deeply moved It means he didn't just cry it out in verse 35. Still wrenching from the pain of this moment. He came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he declared. The Lord said, Martha, just stating the facts. By this time, there's a bad odor for he's been there for four days. dead. Jesus offers some understanding. Did you not, did I not tell you that if you believe you will see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up to heaven. It was not required. He did it for their sake, we're told. Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I know that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here right now that they may believe that you sent me. And when he had said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And the dead man came out looking like he had been at a Halloween party. Seriously. 
He came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. That is disturbing, to say the least. And Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. We're not told in that moment the unbelievable reaction, and I, and I really wish we could know it. But one of the most attractive attributes of Jesus to me in this story, and I think you got it, but let me say it explicitly so it's not missed. Though he described himself as the resurrection and the life, right? That's back in verses 25 and 26. Jesus has just declared who he is and what he does. I am, not I do resurrection and life. I am the resurrection and the life. This is who I am. And though he describes himself as the resurrection and the life, and watch this now, please grab this. And he knew what he was about to do. No one knew that except him. He starts with, this is who I am. And he knew what he was about to do. We just read it slowly so everybody could get it. Verses 38 to 44. He knew that Lazarus would come forward. Still, he kept it real. no more important section of this story we read than verses 32 to 36. He wept. He knew who he was. I'm the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even if they die. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. He knew that and said so. And he knew that he would raise Lazarus from the dead in front of everyone. This would have been an easy time to go, hey, stick around. Hang in there. Good's coming around the corner. Or any other trivializing thing. Hey, dry your tears. You'll see why in a minute. But we're given time to notice Jesus looking at Mary weeping and many others along with her weeping. And the Holy Spirit wants us to realize, to see it made Jesus weep. Forty-one years ago, the first book I read as an intern at the church that I came from was a book by Eugene Peterson none of you have read. Um, he's written a lot of good books, but this one I was like, whoa, I've never heard of that. Five Smooth Stones of Pastoral Work. And in one of the five chapters, he uh, kind of camps on Jeremiah the prophet. Anybody know Jeremiah's nickname? The Weeping Prophet. 
He was 40 years in the job at, in Jerusalem, and um, God said, your job's done the day the temple burned to the ground. He preached and preached his heart out. Nothing ever changed. We've covered that in a past series on Jeremiah. But in this book, he has a chapter that's built on the theology of lamentation. So if you, just so you know in your Bible, Jeremiah is the lengthy story of Jeremiah the prophet. Lamentations is a short five, five chapters, four, five chapters, I think, four, somewhere in there, of lamentations. Um, and the title of this chapter is important, The Pastoral Work of Pain Sharing. That was new to me because I thought I, I want to keep, I don't, I don't like, you got your pain, I got my pain, let's, let's keep it that way. You know? And I didn't, I didn't, I wasn't well established. I had not developed what he was going to say. These are Peterson's thoughtful words that describe the way that Jesus was with Mary <clears throat> as he wept with her in her grief. Remember, he knew how it was going to turn out. Quote, the biblical revelation neither explains nor eliminates suffering. It shows rather that God enters into the life of suffering humanity. Accepting and even sharing the suffering. How else do you explain Jesus not stopping at, hey, come here, Mary, it's, I, I know it's, I feel so bad, I, you know. But we're told, no, 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 he felt it himself. He, in fact, wept. He kept it incredibly real. Despite the fact, here's what it means if you're, taking notes on just who is Jesus. He was the omnipotent, all-powerful, omniscient, all-knowing, omnipresent, always-present God who, make sure we understand this, he knows how every human hurt will turn out. He knows that. Still, he chooses to weep when he sees Mary collapsed in front of him, suffering. This is huge to me. Which means, despite all of that, I I think I think we've got some uh, gains God wants to bring about in our lives, not to necessarily explain suffering. And not necessarily remove suffering, but be fully comfortable and present in suffering. You say, How's, how was Jesus present? How was he, what was he? Well, he wept. Um, if we were to grade pain, I think most of us would probably put the loss of a loved one, a wife or a husband or child, um, a, a loved one, someone close, family member, 
would be at the top of that list of pain. Wouldn't we? I mean, something that, that's probably true for all of us. And um, tears, they flow freely at memorial services. Um, but, but did you know that they will be banned forever in heaven? know that in heaven the perfect place that the bible describes is that irresistibly attractive home where god lives these words can be found that describe heaven in the second to the last chapter of the bible look god's home is now among a, among his people he will live with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them. And then this. He will wipe away from their eyes every tear. And there will be no more death or sorrow or crying again. All those things are gone forever. What a place, huh? What, what a plan. He's going to take away tears forever. We won't need them. But until then, as Jesus did when he encountered Mary, people like Mary, people in pain, seems to me we are called to do likewise and weep with and comfort others who hurt as well. And remember, we do this um, not as the source of comfort. I think Jesus was her source of comfort. We do it as a delivery system of the comfort that he gives us. The source of all comfort. I want you to close your eyes and close your Bible and just take in these words that remind us all to keep it real. They're words from Paul's letter in 2 Corinthians chapter 1. And he kind of ties it together in verses 3 and 4, just two quick verses. And quite appropriately, he blesses God as the Father of all comfort, his very words, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, Father of mercy and the God of all comfort, the God of all comfort, who comforts us in any of our affliction with the comfort that he plans for us to use in comforting others with the same affliction. So God is, is saying, I want to do this John 11 story of being with people in pain. I want to do that again and again and again. And I'll use you as my delivery system of such comfort. God, I pray that uh, we would keep it real. 
because you were real. Cause us to be more comfortable in moments like the one we've read about. And help us to know that we're part of the mission, all of us, on mission for you to extend your comfort and mercy to people who are in all sorts of pain. We don't have to make it up. We simply comfort them with the same comfort with which we've been comforted by you. So we, we pray also for people in this gathering here or somewhere else watching <clears throat> that if there's, there's grief and sorrow and suffering, that we're, we're a home. This is, this is a place that allows for things like that to be part of life. We pray that in the midst of that, we would also find new joy and hope through the power of your Holy Spirit. We pray in Jesus' name.